So that's where we are. Bless you. I have a message on my heart today uh, about the supremacy of Jesus, and the message is titled Supreme. Uh, over the summertime, we uh, went to a, a few of the elders and asked them to preach, uh, help us preach through June and July. And uh, so JD, next week Scotty's coming, uh, Michelle had preached, Ken uh, deploy, and, and just really said to them, We'd like you to come preach a, a one-off message, whatever's in your heart. And they, they got any, like any direction you want, any, any theme we should know, just, just go and ask the Lord what he wants you to preach. And pretty much everybody came back with the same theme, and that is we need to focus our eyes back on Jesus. We need to cling to him. And that's pretty spectacular to me because uh, we might have had five or six messages that were you know, across the board, but they've all honed in on the same space. And uh, as, as people have been preaching, the other ones are going to preach and go like, I think they stole my message. They, you know, I'm going to have to revise it. But as somebody who's, who's sitting with all of those people and listening a little bit to what's going on in their heart, I've realized that there is something of a call in the spirit over our church. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, 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 can I just get your attention? You need to be more focused on Jesus. You need a better walk with Jesus. Now, um, can I just say, if... if um, if we were not focused on what the Holy Spirit was saying, we, we would be focused on, I can preach better messages than that. That feels too simple. We can, we can get the musicians to play other music. It feels too simple to just say, let's just focus on Jesus, right? But I, I, I get to wonder why the Lord is putting such an emphasis for us at this time. I'm reminded of the story with, with Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah's about to go home to be with the Lord, and Elisha keeps getting warned by the prophets. They go, you know that the Lord's going to take Elijah today. He goes, I know. And, and Elijah says, stay here. I'm going to go there. And he goes, I'm not staying here. I'm coming with you. <clears throat> so they walk about 20 miles, and he gets there, and he goes, stay here, because I'm going to go over there. And he goes, I'm not staying here. I'm coming with you. And, he, and, they, and this goes on. And every place they go to, the, the prophets come out and they go, you know the Lord's going to take him. And he goes, I know, just not talk about it. And eventually, they get to a river, and it's in flood. And Elijah says, I'm going to cross, why don't you stay here? And Elisha says, I'm coming with you. So Elijah takes his coat off and he hits the river, and the river parts. And the two of them walk across. And Elijah says to him, okay, what do you want? And he goes, I want a double portion of your anointing. And Elisha says, Elijah says to Elisha, if you see me when I'm taken, you can have that. That's fascinating. Because they're walking along and a chariot, an angelic chariot with horses and fire and angels comes, separates the two of them. And most normal people would be focused on the chariot. Because that's pretty, I don't see that often, right? <clears throat> it's this chariot, it's fiery, there's angels. And they get separated and... Uh, Elijah gets taken up in a whirlwind and he gets put on this chariot and he goes, and Elisha is not looking at the angel chariots because he's been told, if you see me, you can have what you want. And he focuses on Elijah. It feels to me like the Lord is going, hey, hey, church, can I just give me your attention? Hey, hey, look up, look up. Stop looking out there. Look at me. Yeah. Listen. I want you to focus on me. And the question in the back of my mind is, what's coming? Why? 
Why this call now? Why this, hey, 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 no, 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 don't worry about that. Look at me. And I don't know if you've ever had times like that with your kids, but, but those moments typically, okay, okay, look at me. Feels like that moment in the Lord. Feels like he's calling the church, listen, I want you to draw closer to me. I want you to come and seek me. I want you to come and listen to my voice. I want you to focus your, your, on my face. I want to be the one that is the center of your attention right now. Because I suspect that there are going to come so many things right now. There's going to be a moment of time where a lot of different ideas, a lot of different theologies, a lot of different politics, a lot of different dramas and worries and concerns are going to present themselves. And if we take our eyes off Jesus to focus on even the good stuff that's happening, we may miss something profound that God wants to do in this time. So my encouragement to you is, is uh, let's just take this moment of the next couple of months and make a determined effort to focus all our heart and all our mind and all our love and all our devotion onto the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there is no other name or no other cause or no other dream on your lips but Jesus, that would be a great thing. So today's message, we're going to spend a little time in the book of Colossians because I just want to talk about the supremacy of Jesus and how beautiful he is. And Paul wrote the book of Colossians because there were some challenges to the church. Paul hadn't planted the church. Paphras had. Um, Paphras, Paphras has been one of the guys who'd come and listen to Paul's lectures in the house of Tyrannus. And then he'd gone out, Titus, Philemon, Paphras. A couple of guys went out and planted churches. And this was one of the churches that had been planted. And as was usual in those days, the two big challenges to the gospel were legalists and Gnostics, and I'm going to talk a little bit about those, because neither of those two errors correctly recognized who Jesus was. And so error always comes into the church, and it usually comes from an incorrect perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you don't know who Jesus is, that he is both God and man, in God come in the flesh as the man Jesus Christ. The moment you don't recognize his, his divinity and his humanity, that, that's where error usually starts. That uh, pretty much every error and every sect and cult comes from a misunderstanding and a misconnection uh, with Jesus. So basically, Paul, in writing to them, starts to assert the total sufficiency of Jesus for our lives, for our salvation, for our sanctification. He speaks about his divinity and his humanity, that he was fully God and he was fully man as Adam, as, as God intended Adam to be. So let's take these two challenges to the faith and see if we can make some applications to our lives today. Legalism <clears throat> was primarily from Jewish believers who were contending that Jesus was necessary but not sufficient, and that you also then, if you accepted Jesus, had to be circumcised as a Jew, and you had to ascribe to the law of Moses. That is because to the Jews, some of their favorite doctrines uh, were just being kicked aside by the New Testament. They didn't like this new gospel because they had embraced circumcision because it was the sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And Abraham was a hero of theirs. And, and they said, surely God has not changed his mind on circumcision. And you absolutely must 
must believe in circumcision. You must ascribe to it. It's not just by faith. And they misunderstood what Paul taught was that when you believed, you were circumcised by Jesus, not in the circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of your heart. And the old sinful nature was cut off you and you have become a brand new creature. I much prefer that circumcision because it's the one that's perfectly done by the hands of Jesus and it sets us entirely free. Why would you want an inferior work done by the hands of people? So they chose circumcision, the seal of, the, uh, of Abrahamic covenant, and then they, uh, they absolutely loved the, the law, the Torah, which was the center stone of the Jewish religion. Because legalism will always find a foothold when we don't have an accurate understanding of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. All of the righteous requirements of the law and all of the faith and obedience that was formed by the Abrahamic covenant were completely met in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you believed, you were made one with him and you have been submerged into him. And so the righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in you who believe. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, when legalism and all its attendant emotions and its sense of rightness and its stirred up zeal and devotion and its measuring of its own actions against the actions of others, it will always ensure that we fall short of God's required standards, which is perfection. Jesus came in as a man and being found in human likeness, he lived, he fulfilled the law, and whoever believes in him is seen to have, been, have fulfilled the law as well. The righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in us. I don't want to have to go back to try and meet the requirements of the law by myself. This knowing Jesus is exceptionally valuable because it sets you free from the requirements of what used to be unattainable and it sets you and brings you into this place where you already have attained them because you're in Christ. You start at a foundation that, that not even the greatest of the Old Testament people could attain. That's why Jesus said, the smallest in the kingdom will be greatest than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, among those born of women, there's no one being close to John the Baptist. But I'm telling you a truth. The least in the kingdom starts at a higher place than John did. Don't let legalists get hold of you. All they can do, all they can do is drag you away from the beauty that you're living in. And the Gnostics were the next big threat, and they said that all matter and physical universe was evil and warped, but the spirit was good and true. And God was spirit and therefore very pure and fundamentally could not have created this inherently evil world of physical reality. So they believed that there were eminences from God, like a lesser being that was created and they created lesser beings and they created lesser beings. And then like, like 3,000 lesser beings later, this being arrived that was really evil and warped and he created this warped world. That's who they said Yahweh was in the Old Testament, the Gnostics. There's been a resurgence of Gnosticism, by the way, which is terrible. But basically, they said um, these eminences that were so far removed from God, they were the ones who created this physical realm. And then 
this constant battle between the physical realm and the spirit realm that's always ongoing. And so it found some elements of truth in Christianity because we do fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and in the, dark, in the spiritual darkness in the spiritual realm. We, we do fight with spiritual weapons, a spiritual battle against spiritual foe. So there's, there were some elements of it that rang true in the church, but it was just simply a misunderstanding of who Jesus was because they said, well, Jesus, if he came physically, could not have been pure and right and true. He was one of these eminences that was far away from God. And then when that was proven, they go, no, Jesus was God. They would say, well, then maybe he was God, but he didn't actually come in the flesh. So the Gnostics had this whole theory about when Jesus walked on the earth, there were no footprints because he just looked human, but he wasn't actually, he was just a spirit that showed up. The problem with the Gnostics is that they said the only way you can, you can grow is, is uh, you have the special knowledge that is locked up in Gnostic religion. And so they emphasized the teachings of Jesus more than the finished work of the cross. They go, well, that does, what he did physically didn't matter, but it's his teachings that really are gonna get you going. And so it became this mixture of dualism and asceticism. So they would be very strict and very harsh and you couldn't enjoy anything and you always had to work hard and you had to beat yourself. Because they said that's the only way you can develop the divine spark that is within you is through special knowledge and really disciplined. So there was one group that were really, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't have fun, you couldn't laugh. You know those people? Yeah. You, know the, you know those people? If you, if you start laughing too much and having too much fun, they, they, you could, they just get irritated because this is wrong, you know. Christians should be mean-spirited. You know, they got that vibe about them. And so that, that was the Gnostics. And, and, you, and you couldn't just love and laugh and embrace and... And so Paul preaches, Jesus Christ, God over all, come in the flesh. So let me just say something at this juncture. Beware of any theology that sets God up as so pure and holy and majestic that he's unattainable and far away from human beings. Wow, that's so good. Wow. I say this because... There is so much theology that sets God up as so amazing and so pure and so astounding, but it creates the sense that he is so far removed from me. Little old me could never speak to great, majestic, awesome, sovereign him. And that's not a good theology because it stands against Emmanuel, God with us. And the whole message of the gospel is that God so loved you that he gave his one and only beloved son so that anybody who believes in him can have eternal life and fellowship with God. And our fellowship, John said, is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Paul, the, the Greeks believed in what they called the logos, the perfection of logic, the ultimate of wisdom, everything that was right and true and upright. And this, uh, the Gnostics believed in the Sophia, the wisdom, and they, it was the same concept, the perfection of wisdom and the sufficiency of all knowledge and 
and the ultimate in logic and the essence of right and good. And, and John says in his gospel, uh, in the beginning was this logos, this ultimate being that you believe in, this perfection of logic. In the beginning was the logos and the logos was God and the logos was with God and the logos became flesh and lived among us, full of grace and truth. This is the message of this gospel, that the great and majestic sovereign God of all loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son in order to win you. And not just win you so that you, you can be forgiven, but win you so that you have a relationship with him. God is absolutely holy and other and beautiful and sovereign and good. But don't stop your sermon there. God appeared, he appeared among us to win us. So beware of legalism and Gnosticism. It says it's all up to you. Because the other side of Gnosticism said, you know, you either have to do it all or they said it doesn't matter what you do because whatever you do in the flesh, is the flesh is going to burn anyway. It's worthless. So whatever you do in the flesh is, doesn't matter it's, as long as you keep your spirit pure. So if you, you can engage in sexual immorality, that wasn't a problem as long as your spirit was pure. So we have to beware of loving the world because sin is deceitful and will harden the hearts of those who indulge in it. So Paul writes to these people and he says, listen, okay, here's my prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart just be enlightened. And I am not stop praying for you because I'm asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that his spirit will give. And he said, I'm praying that your minds are not led astray to simple and foolish doctrines because in Jesus Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Basically, Paul's answer to all these disquieting doctrines is to run to Jesus and find your peace and your satisfaction in Him. In Him are hidden all the treasures. So let's go to our scripture. I want to start in Colossians 1 and we'll see how far we can get with this gospel. Some people believe this was a poem in the early church. I'm not sure that that holds true, but it was written with such poetic um, force and that, that when commentators have read through this again and again, they, they see such a, a pattern uh, which talks about the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus, talks about the supremacy of Jesus most of all. So let me read this to you. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's start with this. He is the image of the invisible God. What a great idea. 
The son is going to be the image. He's the one that God wants us to look to. He's the one God sent as his representation. He is, Paul says, he's the image of the invisible God. You can't see God. So God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I don't want you to make images of me on the earth. I don't want you to put me on your coins. What I'm going to do is because you can't see me, I'm going to send my son who is the exact, as Hebrew says, the exact representation of my being. My son, if you see him, you've seen me. I'm going to send my son as the image, the visible perfection of the invisible God. And so when Philip said to Jesus, could you just show us the Father? Jesus was like, come on, Philip. How long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God is spirit. He's invisible. He lives in inapproachable light, as the Scripture says. But he sent his only begotten Son to represent him perfectly. Why would we not spend a significant portion of our lives focused on Him. Yeah. This is what God is like. Oh, we've got so many people postulating about who God... <laughs> okay. Takes theologians, honestly, to mess it up a lot of the time. Go, just come back to Jesus. Yeah. Just, just read the Gospels again. Just capture Jesus walking and talking and listen to him. Jesus is not an inferior facsimile or an approximation, but he is the one that we're told to examine and to study and to emulate because the image issue isn't just for us to know God because the more we gaze upon the image of God, the more we are transformed into that image. Don't miss this piece. Your call is to focus, to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. And as you fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, not only do you understand more about God, but you are then transformed more and more into that image. You were created to be transformed into the image of God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. It says, the gospel displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And we all, with unveiled faces, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. The more you face Jesus, the more you draw yourself near, the more you come seeking him, the more you gaze on his image, you, are, the Holy Spirit takes his image, adds glory to you, and transforms you into his image. That's why they said of the early disciples, they came in, the disciples came into the Sanhedrin. They weren't intimidated by them at all. They weren't cowered by them. They stood up with a wisdom that they knew these men didn't have. They counted them and they go, last time that happened, it was Jesus. And they took note that they had been with Jesus, it says. And people go, they feel like Jesus to me. That's the way Jesus would have answered those God foreknew, Romans 8, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, this is part of the God's predestination. When God called you, this was the purpose. He predestined you when he called you to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Colossians, to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and you and I are called to focus on this image, to spend time with him. So let me bounce this off you. When last did you carve out some time to just come, not, not in the church service, to just come and hang out with Jesus? Just to switch off all folk, other focus, turn off all other clamors for your attention. Just go, okay. And you, just you and Jesus, just carve out some time for you to come and hang with him. Because if, if some of you walk out of this and say, that's what I'm going to do this week, then this, this sermon has been magical. Yeah. Yeah. Because right in that beauty of you fixing your eyes on the image of the invisible God and being transformed into that image yeah. has an amazing power that, that eloquence cannot generate in your life. Secondly, the firstborn over all creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over every creation. In this context, firstborn doesn't mean that Jesus was, or didn't exist and then he was born. It, it's using the firstborn in the context of the firstborn is the, is the most honorific. It's the place that in their culture they would say he's the firstborn. He's the most important. He's of first importance. He has the highest priority. He has the most authority. That's what firstborn means. Firstborn was the title of the Messiah. It was used in Psalm 89. Well, I'll make him my firstborn. He'll be higher than all of the kings of the earth, is what the psalm said. Clearly, the firstborn is not used in a time sense here at all, but in the sense of special honor. So when Paul says that the son is the firstborn of all creation, he means that the highest honor which creation can hold belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the first and highest priority the greatest value, the highest honor, the most preeminent person in all of creation. He's not only the perfect revelation of God as his image, but he's also set in as the first priority, the greatest value. We can learn from this. I can see I'm going to run out of time significantly early. <laughs> Jesus is the heir to everything. I'm going to skip the verses. If you, if you trust me, I could prove that. <laughs> okay. Well, let me make the application. Jesus, Jesus then should be our highest priority. The greatest honor, the most preeminent person of our lives. And that's something you can choose and I can choose. I can choose who I make the preeminent person of my life. I can set the priority of my heart. That's not just something that he does to me. That's something that I turn around and agree with. I partner with his. I love him because he first loved me. There's no doubt about this. Not me creating that. But when he, his grace hit my life and when his call touched my life, I have a choice and you have a choice on how I'm going to respond to that. Because I can respond well and I can respond lackadaisically. But I've decided I'm going to respond well. I'm going to go flat out, give him my whole heart with my whole. I'm going to go full bore. I'm off to Jesus. I'm going for him. I'm going to set him up as the preeminent one so that when there's an opportunity to worship, I'm I am going to give him the worship that's due to his name, not because I felt like it in the moment. He is the firstborn, assigned the greatest place of honor. 
This is not a call for us to do more. It's just a reminder for us to focus on Him more and to ascribe to Him the preeminence of our lives. Lastly, all things were created through Him and for Him. Both visible and invisible things were created for Him and by Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. There's no angel or demon or anything that's arrayed against you in the spiritual realm that is of concern. Because <laughs> they were created by Jesus and for Him. And the rebels who went against Him are in trouble. They're not winning, they're hurting. And they have no authority over you. They have no power over you. And when you're walking in submission to the Father, then you bear a significant authority in the Spirit because you have the authority and the nature of Jesus on you. You're the most dangerous being in the spiritual array because you have the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ on your life. You're the T-Rex in the spirit, if you know what I'm saying. You're the dangerous one. If you're in submission, if you bow your knee, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will run screaming from you because this is how this works. See, Paul was talking to the Gnostics because the Gnostics believed in angels. Angels were big in the Gnostic thing. And he's basically saying, you make space in your thinking for angels, but you rate Jesus as like maybe just one of them. But he's the one who created them. He's God's agent of creation. And he's not an inferior, ignorant, or hostile secondary God. He is God himself, the creator of all things. If everything was created by him and for him, just think on that for a little while. You and I were created for him. He, wasn't, he didn't come into being for you. You came into being for him. Everything that exists, this universe, is for him. He lets us enjoy it along with him. You get to see one of the spiral arms of our galaxy and you go, oh, look at the Milky Way. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Yes, you're welcome. But it wasn't created for me. It was created for him, by him. I could prove that with Scripture too. I'm not going to do those. Whether they thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all of them were made for him and by him. So any throne or power or ruler or authority that's not aligned or not loyal to Jesus and is coming against you is in trouble. He is the darling of the universe because he created it by himself for himself. It's his playground. It's his right by right of creation by right of character, by right of nobility, by right of preeminence, by right of glory. He is the Lord and master of everything, by right. And there's no one who even comes close. He made the materials that he needed and then he formed out of the materials what he created. Out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of, there was nothing. He created something and then created out of the something. God's kingdom is everlasting. And from his throne, through his son, his eternal word, God created, upholds and governs everything that exists. 
the heavenly places, the angelic hosts, the universe, the earth, and every living thing in mankind. He has the right of rule. Now I've run out of time and I had so much more to say. But here's the message. In every single direction you look, Jesus is the preeminent one in every discipline. He is supreme. All glory, all power, all dominion belongs to you. That's what the, that's what the revelation says. All honor, all glory is his. And this great God is making an invitation to this church. He said, come and spend some time with me. We had two words this morning during worship. Robbie and Cindy. Robbie said, I feel like the Lord is realigning people, just literally physically moving them so that they can see him better. And Cindy said, I feel like the Lord's going, hey, look at me, because, because when you see who he is, chains are going to fall off people. Yeah. I'm going to ask Michelle to come up, because she had a word this morning that, that I, I said, man, that's better than I can say it. So I'm going to ask her to come and just give that word. And then, we, then we're going to pray with you. Just finish this off, because I, I just really feel like this is the invitation of the Lord to us. Yeah, I woke, I woke up this morning with, with this picture, and I just really believe that this is for some people yeah, really for, for all of us, but there were some specifics. And so I had this picture of Jesus. He was, he was sitting on a chair, and there were people kind of scattered. Um, and he said, come, come close, come close. And some drew close quickly. They were running, run, running up to the front. They wanted to be near him, wanted to hear what he had to say. And, and others were hesitant, and some kind of looked away, hoping that he wouldn't see them. But there was this invitation. I just felt such a strong invitation from the Lord saying, tell my people to draw close to me. And there is this invitation. And it came beautifully through, through communion and through the message and even through the, the songs that we worship the Lord with this morning. There's this invitation to, to lean in and, and come close to him. It's like the Lord saying, come in from out of the cold. And... You know, the, the enemy wants to, us to feel isolated and feel like we don't belong and feel like, you know, the shame has to keep us at a distance. And I feel like the Lord says, I, I see you, I know you, and I'm asking you and inviting you to come close. And I felt like he said, I have not put any obstacles in your way. In fact, I've removed the obstacles so that you can come close. Hebrews 4.16 says, let, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. And I just so feel like God is saying that would you draw near with confidence this morning? Not confidence in what you've done or what you haven't done or how you feel or don't feel. I'm inviting you. It's like, he's, like you've received an invitation in the mail to, to draw near, to lean in. And, and then I saw a picture of some people just sitting with their arms folded and it kind of like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not ready to do that. And I, I believe some of it was out of hurt. Some of it was out of disappointment. Maybe some of it was out of belief in some, some legalistic stuff that needs to just be taken off. Um, but I just felt like God said, it's time to lean in. Because 
in his presence is where healing comes. In his presence is where restoration happens. At his feet is where we get healed. At his feet is where we hear his voice. And so I just feel like there's this invitation. And, I, and just like Greg said, we, we have a choice. There's, he's not forcing. There's no, God wasn't forcing us. But I do believe that there's an invitation. And his heart longs for you to say yes, for me to say yes. So I want to encourage you this morning. Would you, would you lean in? Regardless of your circumstances, we've all, got, we've all gone through stuff. We all have our stuff. But the Lord's not looking at our stuff. Yeah. He's looking at us through a lens of righteousness and saying, I love you. Would you come close yeah. so that I can speak to you, so that you can hear my voice, yeah. so that you can have an encounter with my love? So this invitation of grace is to everyone in the room. And uh, we're going we're gonna to close uh, this moment with a prayer and, and invite you to join us. But more than that, if you would take it on beyond into this week yeah. and just carve out a little time, seek the Lord. And I think you'll find that a great, uh, great blessing will come into your life. This is, uh, as clearly as we can say, the best possible way you could spend the week in um, just, just shutting a few things down, closing your eyes and ears to some other stuff and just focusing on Jesus. And uh, because I think it's, it's, it has value for what is coming for us and it'll help center us. Why don't you pray with us, please?